Welcome to Rough Drafts, how God writes his love in our stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell. And in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They're just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. This is a dangerous episode of Rough Drafts because I have a certifiable Yankee with me today. (laughs) I'm so excited about this. Uh, I haven't known today's guest all that long, really, but I know her well enough to know that we should never be seated together at serious functions, and I think you're going to enjoy this show a lot. So I won't say anything else except welcome to the show, Morgan Pickard. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. Here we are. Yes. Now what? So out of my comfort zone, but it's fine. You know, nobody has actually died while doing the show. Good to know. I should put a sign up on the wall with how many people and how many have survived (laughs) so far. How many days without a death? (laughs) That's right. Well, we have a sign on Penny's door with how many days since someone tried to kill her with cinnamon because she's deathly allergic to it. And they just keep it at zero because it happens all the time and changing (laughs) it was too much work. Okay, Morgan, you ain't from around here. So I bet you've got a story. What's your gun story? So I don't know like how to even begin, but. I grew up Catholic, so being Church of Christ is, I think, a huge jump from how I was born and raised. Um, But being in the South, even when I would visit my parents and you would go to public events or something like that, and everybody always prayed. And that doesn't happen up North at all. Yeah. Like, there's no have a blessed day. There's no God bless you. There's no bless your heart. Look, if you put a septic tank in the ground, someone's going to say words over here. Right. So... That was what I loved when I would visit because I just thought that was amazing that there's it brings unity. Um, and then when I moved down here, still went to a Catholic church and it was okay, but I was needing more. Yeah. Um, and when I met Lucas and he was Church of Christ and we went to his brother's church in Nashville, Jackson Park, and um, it was very different. There's no music, it's all acapella, and it just felt like comforting in a way, um, because I just got to the point where sit, stand, and kneel, and saying the same prayers every Sunday, and the same Bible stories every single week you know like in the year there's that you know they're just slotted that way I realized I didn't know the bible at all yeah at all very little of it so being there it was eye-opening to know that there's like a different way to worship I guess I mean you talk about two churches that look different when you walk in on a Sunday mm-hmm. uh, from almost every way that mm-hmm. the, the way the guy up front dresses <laughs> right you know I heard it described as the smells and bells yeah you know we don't have the smells and bells not at all um the 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 liturgy the order of worship is different mm-hmm. not to say we don't have one it's just it's different it's so very different it's not so black and white like that this is it's just I don't want to say I don't I don't know how to say it like it's not ritualistic in a way because like the sit stand kneel and all of that stuff and 
you know what's coming for Christmas Mass. You know what's Easter Mass. You know what, oh, it's the fourth week of this and that. And you know exactly what story you're going to hear. And those are the only stories I knew. Right. Which is very little because we didn't have Sunday school. Yeah. At the, at the Catholic church I went to, you had CCD and it was one night a week during the school year. Couldn't tell you anything I ever like learned yeah. whatsoever. And it just, I don't know. I was just ready to get away from it. So experiencing something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said it felt comforting. What was mm-hmm. what was that like? Tell me, tell me about your journey. So I felt got like I felt like the spirit's presence when I was at the Catholic Church, and like I'll just start to cry like when I know it's there. And it was more. It was very sporadic, but when we were going to the Church of Christ, it was every Sunday. Like I just felt the spirit there. And I was like, hmm, so that was a comfort. I think a comfort also was that it was his brother's church. Um, and he knew people and I knew some people. And that made it be comforting. But it was more like every Sunday, like I would just get overwhelmed. Yeah. So. So that's where, uh, that's Heath, right? Yeah. Okay. In Jackson Jackson Park up in the north side of Nashville. Mm-hmm. They've been around forever. A long time, yeah. Really, they have a nursing home next door. That's closed now. Do you really? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm out of date. Yeah. We can't put my mother-in-law there now, which is a shame. But... Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you go to Tractor Supply and have these little things you screw in the ground with about a 30-foot lead, it's a blast it. That's what you can use. Me and my sister-in-law would always say, we'll, leave, we'll put you there and we'll wave to you through the windows. But now yeah. we can't, so darn so, so tell me about, like, your story. How did you end up where you are today? Where were you? Oh, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, born and raised in New Jersey. Um, my parents separated when I was in third grade. Okay. And got back together. Oh, okay. And then when I was a sophomore in high school, I believe, um, they divorced. Um. Which was not the easiest thing, especially when you're in high school and you're a girl and it's, it was just not fun. Um, was in therapy for it for a while. Eh, do I say it helped? I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I'm still, jury's still out on, on if that helped me at all. Right. Um, and then, so my, they separated, I'm trying to think where we are, and um, my mom Ended up dating this great guy, um, and we ended up living together several years. Um, and my dad remarried my stepmother, or married my step—not remarried. That's never mind. Movie. Married my stepmom, um, and my dad ended. My dad and stepmom ended up adopting my sister from China, um, which was weird for me because I was twenty years old. Okay. So there's a 20-year age difference between me and my sister. Um, I've always wanted a sibling, but I think I wanted them closer in age yeah. than a 20-year age difference. You said getting a sibling once I'm an adult didn't really help. That, no, that's not kind of what I wanted. But okay, Dad. Um, and that was kind of... That relationship with my dad got very strained very quickly with my sister being adopted. So I didn't talk to my dad for almost three years. Oh, wow. Um, and our relationship now is better than it's honestly ever been in my whole life. My dad never, my dad and I were never really close. I was always with my mom. My mom's my best friend. She drives me nuts, but I love her. Yeah. Um, 
But I just didn't want him to treat my sister the way that he treated me. Okay. Um, my dad had very bad anger, um, like growing up, like short fuse, which I get that from him, which is taking me years to work on as well. But that was a strained relationship for a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. So how did you end up in Tennessee? So... This craziness. So my mom, when I turned 21, decided roughly around 21, she was going to move to Connecticut because that's, she's always wanted to live in the New England states. Didn't, wait, New Jersey didn't count? No, that's not New England. Is it not? No. What is it? It starts at like Massachusetts and up and like Connecticut and New Hampshire and all that. So what do they think New Jersey is? Well, people think it's the armpit of the earth, but or well, the no. Garden State, whichever one. <laughs> You're not wrong. Or Jersey Shore or whatever. But, I mean, it's all Yankees. Hush. Hush. Because I'll go Jersey. Luke always says it's fun to watch her go Jersey, but you don't want to be the one she's going Jersey on. <laughs> like, at all. Duly noted. Yeah, so tread lightly. Okay. I'm, I'm just getting back a little bit. You, you guys can't see this, but um, how many sharp objects? <laughs> you got a pocket knife. Okay. There you go. She'll probably die. Scissors. Scissors are good. All right. (laughs) I feel a little bit better about this. I'll defend myself. So she moved to Connecticut and she ended up meeting my stepdad. And so they lived in Connecticut and they bought tickets to CMA Fest. And they came down and loved Nashville, loved the area. So they ended up buying a house in Westmoreland, Tennessee. So, So CMA Fest is how they ended up moving here? Correct, because they love the area. So I used to work downtown Nashville, and CMA Fest was the reason we all thought about right. leaving. And that's, but I, yeah. I did go downtown on the, you know, I was at Fifth and Union, and we'd go out for lunch that week. We'd always take long lunches, and we'd watch all these people wearing cowboy hats oh and gosh. cowboy boots who were Yankees, and yeah. it was the best people watching. It downtown. cringes me now. Like, I yeah. cringe. I'm like, oh, okay, you're a tourist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they kept coming down every year. Um, for CMA Fest, and they had the house here, and then they eventually did, uh, my stepfather retired, and they did the big move to Westmoreland, Tennessee. Don't move there. It's a very... There's nothing there. Odd town. Yeah. Um, And then they ended up in Bowling Green. Okay. So in the meantime, I now am... I lived with my dad for a little bit, ended up moving to North Jersey for a while, um, and then to... Where did I go from there? North Jersey. North Jersey. And then I went to Pennsylvania, like around the Scranton area okay. for a boy. Um, Scranton's terrible. Don't go. Um, and so was the boy. Yeah. He's, I think, maybe in jail. I don't know. Um, but, and then I ended up moving to Connecticut because that, that relationship didn't work out. So I went to Connecticut because my mom kept her house that she lived in. So I'm now living in my mom's house. And when I was working in Pennsylvania, I worked for ShopRite, which is a supermarket. And um, apparently the owner's son got my phone number and we started texting. And, you know, next thing you know, I've moved back to Pennsylvania with him. We got engaged, got married. And his family are raging alcoholics. Well, that's fun. Yeah. So got blinded by the beautiful house and, you know, designer bags and all of that stuff. Got completely blinded by it. But went to church every Sunday at a Catholic church. So definitely wasn't feeling. I think at that point is when I started to kind of turn away, I guess, because I was 
kind of mad because I was living with an alcoholic and he chose alcohol over me. So I said, all right, that's it. I'm done with the North. (laughs) It has not been that great to me. So luckily my mom's house that she lives in, the downstairs pretty much is like an apartment. Oh, cool. Okay. So me and my three cats and my dog and packed a U-Haul and me and my mom drove with the animals and my stepdad drove all my stuff down and I ended up in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Home of Corvettes and Sinkles. And how funny is my both my parents, my stepdad and my mom both work at the Corvette Museum. Oh, did they really? Yes. He's a tour guide and she works in the gift shop. How funny. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you, you end up in Bowling Green. Yeah. It's kind of like a new life. We're starting over. Sort yeah. Of. Totally refreshed. Um, the dating scene is terrible. I don't ever want to date again in my life. It's awful so i really truly feel for like our our 20 somethings right yes. now who are dating because i mean it was hard enough and weird enough when we were doing it mm-hmm. but that was like pre hookup apps right pre social media mm-hmm. pre all the things and it's terrible now i feel so because i don't feel like it's genuine like you have to go through so much muddy water to find a decent person yeah and i found lucas but um there's that but I and we think he's a decent person. <laughs> he is. He is. He's rough around the edges, but he's a good person. I like him. We love him. We, you love. Him. I love him. Okay, I love you him can, too. Yeah, he's I mean, not the same way exactly. I hope not. I'm a little scared of him. If you want to know the truth, good. he likes that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lucas is my friend who gives me inappropriate notes on my way into the pulpit <laughs> every time because he found this stack of like. Vintage. Dirty jokes that are vintage. <laughs> so I've no I don't idea. even know where they came from. A storage though. unit. Uh, I will. I, I will look down, and there will be one in my Bible. <laughs> and <laughs> he has this ability to deliver them at the perfect moment. Uh-huh. He prides himself on that. He He's does. Good. He prides himself like waiting for that opportunity to make it so awkward for you. Oh, it's so great. He loves He's it. So great. I would expect nothing less. So I met Lucas online on Match.com. Okay. Um, both of us at that point were like, we're just going to give this like one more shot. Like, yeah. this is ridiculous. The dating world. His stories are worse than mine. I've had. It's just awful. And so he sent me this giant. Lucas is very good at. He likes detail. Details matter to him. So I got this huge message in my inbox and I read it and I was like, hmm, interesting. Reread it. And I was like, Okay. We went on our first date, and 13 days later, we were married. Okay. <laughs> so there's that. You said 13 days, right? Days. Like, I didn't... didn't. 13 days later, day. we were married. We eloped to Gatlinburg. So I'm just going to go ahead and lead with the question that feels like it's the right one. Go ahead. Why? How? Like, how'd you know? I don't know how, but it was different. It was very different. Um, I liked his energy, too. Like, I don't know. It was just, it was different. And one of the things is he has an extremely good heart. And um, at the time that we met, he had a foster puppy um, that and he was doing fostering of dogs. And it's just he's a softy and he's a really awesome person. And just he wears that on who he is. So it was there was no games. There was no smoke screens, nothing. It was who he was. With Lucas, you get exactly who he is correct and like if he likes you he likes you if he doesn't he doesn't right it's kind of amazing Mm -hmm. i don't know many people quite like him Mm -mm. no i like him that's recorded forever (laughs) there you go on the internet yeah i mean he's a tough guy and 
you know, he's a Marine and he's been through stuff that we'll never understand. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't know what it's like to serve overseas. So that changes a person. So, but he's, he's got an amazing heart. And if you're his friend, you're his friend for life. I could see that. Mm -hmm. Loyalty. Very big. Loyalty to the extreme. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So what's it like being married to a person that you knew for, how long have you all been together now? Six years. Six years. Six years. You've made it six years past 13 days. Yes. What has that adjustment been like? Because like, say what you want. Y'all didn't know each other. No, we didn't. Mm -mm. And that has, I mean, by the grace of God, in all honesty, we've gotten through those six years because, you know, you don't know somebody after 13 days. So we were married and learning each other, which is crazy. So, but you know, it's kind of fun. Um, Like, I'm not saying it's the method I think I would recommend. (laughs) No. But in the days of arranged marriages, which mm-hmm. also not the record that right. I recommend. But in those days, like people in a lot of places did well because it was, we're making a commitment. We're going to make Correct. it work. Mm-hmm. That was what, what drove it. And in modern American dating, it's uh, what I feel about you is what drives mm-hmm. this. And what I feel about you can change with what I ate last night. Right. So like starting with commitment, I think isn't. It wasn't a terrible idea. Yeah. I mean, six years later and we have a baby and we're the best we've ever been and it took six years of learning each other yeah because it's not it wasn't a walk in the park just because oh, it was a walk in the park it was jurassic park correct it, it could be a yes because you're like you said you're learning each other and you know we grew up extremely differently yeah um he was super conservative i was not at all you know my when my parents divorced and my mom took a job that she traveled Monday through Thursday, I had parties at my house. You know, I grew up very different from him. And he calls me a bully, that I was a bully. I was like, I never bullied anybody. But he thinks I was a bully. (laughs) And he grew up in a town in White Bluff where everybody knew his brothers, Mm -hmm. everybody knew his grandfather, Mm -hmm. everybody knew, you know, like... Like small town USA, and I grew up in suburbia. Yeah. So it was very different. Very different. And now you have a baby. Yeah. Which is crazy. You know, it is amazing the feeling when you walk out of the hospital and you're like, wait, you're letting me come take him home. I haven't even passed a test or anything. Like, like what? Don't, what? Don't have to get a permit. Right. He was in the NICU for 39 days and we're, you're supposed to do like this sleep in with them so they know that you can take care of your kid. Yeah. Which I find weird. But anyway, um, we didn't have to do that. Like the nurses and doctors like, oh, you got this. I'm like, but do we? Yeah. I'm like, can somebody come home with us for 24 hours just to ensure that we do have this? I mean, he's still alive now, so I think we're doing all right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I checked the obituary just to make sure you haven't killed Lucas or Lucas hasn't killed you. It's more Lucas killing me. Okay. It's probably more that. Well, I have a Google News alert set up, so (laughs) I should get a little ding on my phone. Yeah. So tell me the story about the NICU experience. It was, I don't, it was such a whirlwind, I guess, because I... Went to the ER, like, so for him getting here, I went to the ER on, like, a Sunday night, and by Wednesday, he was being born. Yeah. And um, it was a whirlwind, but they pumped me full of magnesium <laughs> because they had a, my body was just mad. Yeah. Um, My liver enzymes and stuff were plummeting, and it was, they had to get my body to just kind of stop working in a way, like, just kind of chill out, like, stand still. 
Um, so I think if I didn't have that, I probably would have lost. I would have been hysterical. Yeah. Um, but I remember asking my doctor, like, what is he going to look like when he comes out? Like, prepare me. And she goes, he's not going to look like a gecko. I said, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> Love my doctor. Um, had my first ambulance ride to Centennial. Had my first surgery, like, ever. Um, but it was a whirlwind. So I don't think I really had time to really like take it in in a way until we went home okay. without him and that's a moment mm -hmm. everybody else is loading up their babies mm -hmm. in the car seats driving mm -hmm. away at five miles an hour mm -hmm. they've got a kid in the car and you have to go home every day for 39 days so without him and that's hard because every day you're pulling up to that hospital baby's going home yeah mm -hmm. so what did we do with that I uh, had a lot of breakdowns because, like, you're hormonal anyway from having a baby. Right. I have to leave him. Um, and I'm just, like, off the charts with emotions. And that was hard for Lucas to really kind of navigate through because I didn't know why I was upset or why I was, like, all of a sudden hysterical. Yeah. Because I thought I was fine. Um, and it was just, it was stressful because you want him to meet these milestones. Yeah. And when you meet a milestone and then slide backwards mm. is devastating. It's funny the milestones too when you're when you're in NICU. It's like mm -hmm. my baby pooped today. Yeah, like it's the most exciting yes. thing in the universe. Yes, like his first poop, and it was like um, you'll get him off the CPAP machine. Now he's got oxygen in his nose. Let's get him off that. Let's get the feeding tube out. And I just kept in my head is he's going to let me know when it's time for him to come home. Yeah, and if I didn't do that, I would have been a disaster mm. because it, it he was driving all of this. Yeah, and after bottles bottles were a very big thing and they have to take six full bottles to be able to come home okay so everybody at church was always asking how many bottles did he get down today how many bottles and having that family like the church family rally around you and like that was awesome i really thought there was gonna be like a box on the church bulletin that said <laughs> number of bo bottles for colin yeah today or something because everybody was so invested with us which was awesome and um the minute he took those bottles down and then, you know, like feeding tubes out and, you know, car seat test. And we got there. We came to church that morning. He came home and I brought a book like discharges from hospitals take forever. Yeah. Mm -mm, not his. No, here you go. No, it was literally like boom, boom, boom. They were waiting for us to show up. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not ready for this. It's like hotel checkouts at 11. Um, and right. He's knocking on the door. Um, you're supposed to take forever with this. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> But funny story is that we, um, when Lucas would scrub in, you have to scrub in every day, and he would leave his wedding band on, like, the scrub-in sink. So every, after a while, the nurses knew whose ring it was. And one day, a grandmother of one of the babies gives it to the nurse and tells him, you know, tell him, you know, Kelly, that he's known for 20-some years, says you're welcome. We're like, what? Here it was like his girlfriend from 20 years ago. Her daughter named Morgan had a baby in the NICU and had the same help syndrome that I did and had to deliver C-section. Really? Yeah. It was bizarre. We're like, what? So clearly Lucas is the common link in these stories. Yes. This is all his fault. Yeah, correct. So no. Yeah. Okay. Somehow. But last time he saw Morgan was, I think, he said when she was two. And now here she has a baby and, like, had the same situation that I was in, which we thought was so, like, it blew our minds. 
So this is, you know, apples and oranges. When Caleb was born, he spent like a day and a half in NICU. But, you know, to first-time parents, it was like, ah. mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when we went to the NICU to go, like, see him in the NICU, mm-hmm. because he was in the room with us for, I don't know, 18 hours before they decided to move him. And when we go to the NICU, the the lead nurse that day was somebody who played soccer with Leslie and Fred Hardeman. Isn't that crazy? And, and it was, like, the best thing in the world to see Sarah Benny there, mm-hmm. like, and then th- there was another nurse that we both had known f- from Freed. And it-, it was so funny, even like she said she saw the Facebook picture of baby Caleb. It was like, oh, I recognize the nurse who delivered. Because the tattoo, like. Right. Just everybody knew everybody. And it was taking this big, scary, nameless, faceless thing and like uh-huh. humanizing it. We didn't like, oh, Kelsey. Oh, yeah. Kelsey, well, Kelsey. Right. Um, thank you. She um, works there. And like she had reached out. Um, and was like, hey, I can check on him for you. And that was nice to know that somebody from our church family worked there. Yeah. That was a comfort. Um, but we didn't have where we knew a familiar face. Yeah. But every single one of those nurses, I have their phone number. And we're their family now. That's like awesome. when they post pictures of him, they're like, why is he so big? I'm like, I don't know. And <laughs> because they were rooting for him, too, you know, and. Those nurses are a special breed. Yeah. I couldn't do what they do. No, I could not either. I could not do what they do. Hmm. But if it wasn't like with the church family and our family support and everything, I don't think we would have sanely made it through that. Yeah. Well, the sanity part is still <laughs> an open topic, but okay. We, we, we appreciate the- uh, Our sanity. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Our sanity. Sure, sure, sure. But- Okay. So let me go another direction. Yeah. You couldn't do what they do. What do you do? I work at Freeman Recovery. Okay. And for their MAT program, which is uh, medication. Um, I just drew a blank on exactly what MAT means. Assisted? Yes. Medicated. Yes. Assisted treatment, um, which is like Suboxone and supplicate injections and things like that to help people come off of drugs. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so kind of explain that for a little bit uh, because I hadn't heard about that and I didn't understand the evidence behind it and the reasoning behind it until fairly recently. And uh, mm-hmm. Robin pointed me, uh, Robin Griffin pointed me yep. some books to read. And because, uh, you know, I'd always sort of heard this stuff as, oh, we're just giving addicts something else to get. Right. On. It has a very negative tone until you really dig into it to find out what its purpose is for. Because it, it's literally blocking the neurons for the addiction, for that craving. That helps them get back into life and be contributing to society and be the person that they're meant to be. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's my passion and it's, I love it. So, so what, what about that world is interesting to you? Um, Why is this your passion? Well, you know, I've, back in my heyday, of my heyday, you know, I dabbled in it, you know, and nothing crazy or anything like that but i mean i ended up you know punching one of my best friends in the face who hasn't thought about that (laughs) Uh, but i did it (laughs) so you know that was a thing you know i don't want to see somebody go down that path yeah um i've seen a lot of what it does to families how it can tear them apart what it does to friends the loss of friends um you know, and watching somebody come from their bottom to their best is amazing. Yeah. It's just to watch that transformation and 
now that being at Freeman, they have their residential and they have the detox area. And I thought I was seasoned, you know, working. I worked for an outpatient facility before. And I opened the door for the first time to get a detox patient to see the provider. And I was taken back. Yeah. And I just felt so bad. And this poor girl really didn't know where she was. And, you know, she took her a while to, like, get her boundaries. And I'm like, oh, this poor kid. A week later is a totally different person. And to see these people week by week, day by day, get better is why I do what I do. You know, we grew up um, with those late 80s commercials, you know, where they're cracking the egg in the skin. Like, this is your brain. <laughs> this is, yes. But those commercials is hokey. I doubt they actually helped anybody not do cursed. But they're, they are way more true than I ever realized. The jail chaplaincy work, mm -hmm. like, I didn't realize just how much people's brain gets physically changed mm -hmm. and just how important it is to get them high quality help. And that's a thing because I've heard a lot of patients say, like, the clarity, the clarity. And it's, yeah, because your mind's not fogged and bogged down with drugs. And, you know, it's just amazing to see them start to live. And I just, I wouldn't want to do anything else, to be honest. And it's tough because, I mean, the failure rate is high. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, almost everything that involves major life change has a really high failure rate. Mm -hmm. Like when people have massive heart attacks at 50 and the doctors say you need to eat differently, like these people are told if you don't do this, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. And 10% of them change. Right. Um, you know, when someone's in a domestic violence situation mm -hmm. and they get the tar beat out of them and all their friends say, you've got to leave him, you're better than this, 10% of them change. Right. And one thing that's frustrating for me, like trying to talk about this in a church setting, um, Sometimes drugs, drug addiction has been talked about exclusively with moral language. Mm -hmm. You have made a choice. You are mm -hmm. a bad person. And when my when my friends are like, oh, you know, you work with addicts. Yes, I do. But here's my thing. Take that cookie cutter, what you think an addict looks like, and get it out of your head. Because guess what? It's, it can hit any walk of life. Yeah. Any walk of life can be affected by it. And... That's one thing that I'm glad that I've got my friends to understand that it could be the grandmom that's next to you in the checkout line. Yeah. You don't know. And like that scenario is so true. We have these providers who are over prescribing stuff. Correct. And, you know, three oxys in, mm -hmm. grandma realizes she feels good for the first time in forever and mm -hmm. she doesn't, she sleeps for the first time in forever. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's when, when people picture addicts, they picture the guy who is cutting catalytic converters off the mm -hmm. car in the Walmart parking lot and eating his scabs. Exactly. And that's true. But yeah. what people don't remember is that guy is a son. Right. And what also blew my mind, like everybody has a story. And when you talk to somebody, there's always, I wouldn't say oh, most of the time for, for my experience is there's that life changing thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And the other half of it is that there are people out there that didn't stand a chance. Yeah. Where instead of getting Tylenol, their parents at the age of whatever are like, oh, you know, let's shoot some meth or here's an oxy or, and they didn't have, they didn't stand a chance yeah. because at the generational, that's what they're, it's a rite of passage in a really weird way. And like, so I, I get mad at addicts who rob from grandma mm -hmm. and steal the catalytic converters. And I don't, I get mad at addicts who mistreat their kids, mm -hmm. but my 
quote, righteous anger doesn't do anything to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate the people who are on the front lines of these battles because uh, it's tough and it's, it's tough scary. to get jaded and it's, um, oh, yeah. it's just addiction sucks. It does. And there's, you know, a few that, you know, will touch you and there I will worry about to this day if I don't, I will check mobile patrol to see if they're there because if they're there they're alive yeah if i don't hear anything you worry and i've had several like come to jesus meetings with a handful of patients going you are going to die yeah and i don't like well i'm making good money and i'm doing this and i'm doing that and i need that no okay you're doing this for your child great working and all that and you're doing these drugs to get yourself through that day and but at the end of the day, you're going to end up dead for your kid. Yeah, that, and that's not helping. That's de- that's going to cause issues for your child. When you're doing something like that for your child, it's not for your child. No. That's the rationalization addiction creates. I get mad. You get mad. You get sad. You know, you get happy. It's just, it's a gambit of emotions, but I wouldn't change what I do. Yeah. It's got to be tough. Yep. But that, but seeing those people become who they're supposed to be mm. and get a job that they haven't had in them forever or ever have had a job. Yeah. They're making money where they can buy things other than drugs. Like they're going shopping for clothes for themselves or, you know, I can go to the supermarket and buy what I want or whatever little things that we take for granted and getting to see them be able to do these things is why I love doing what I do. It's letting a human become a human again. Mm-hmm. Because there's almost a sense when you're deep in addiction, you you lose some of your ability to be a human. That's mm-hmm. um, harsher than I mean it to sound. But, but it's in a way because you're just, you don't want to be sick. You don't want to hurt you. So you're going to do what you need to do to not be that way. Exactly. And that's when you just pretty much don't care. Yeah. And you're going to do what you got to do. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that was light. Yeah. Sorry about that. Tell me something funny. What What do you want to know? I don't know. Something funny. I don't know. Do you have another story you want to tell? I would love for you to meet my mom, actually. Yeah. Donna. Bring her down. Donna is something else. Yeah. Yeah. She, she sends me these wonderful text messages and one that will always live with me um, is she sends me pictures of the Sam's Club floor cleaner chasing her. And I have to let her know that she can walk behind it. <laughs> yeah. So those are the text messages I get from my mom that just makes my day some days because it's it's Donna and she's well, not. floor cleaner is pretty scary. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm like, you know, you can walk behind it, right? You know, we have a we have a floor cleaner here at church so you could bring her up here and I could chase you around college <laughs> ball with it. The scary part is the Sam's Club floor cleaners aren't manned. They're automatic. Oh, the auto ones now? Yeah. yeah. Creepy. Uh, I did a funeral not too long ago, and the cemetery had auto uh, little Roomba grass cutters. Luke wants one for the yard. I see how that would be nice. I, don't, I think it's stupid. They're really expensive, though. <laughs> yeah. Who needs those when you have a loot? Mm, true. Well, Luke, get some scissors. Cut the grass. Right. He does. He takes care of the yard. It looks mm. good. Well, this has been fun. I, I hope so. It has been. Thanks for doing this with us. You're welcome. Do you have anything else you want to share today? No. Well, you know, I love I love when we get to share stories that are just life. Like, here's, mm-hmm. here's life. In a lot of these episodes, sometimes they're like big and bold and like, mm-hmm. you know, I was dying. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but most of life is kind of mundane. Yeah. And there's been times like that I've been in some really crummy situations and been angry at God. And but I've always continued to talk to him and be like, yeah, I'm mad at you. Yes, I'm not ha- like, why is this happening? Yeah. And Lucas makes fun of me the way that I pray because I don't change who I am or my language. (laughs) But that's me and God knows me. Yeah. And you're better off to tell God the truth than lie to him. Mm -hmm. And I just talk like I would talk to you. Yeah. Sometimes I cuss. But that's okay. God needs to just know what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Sometimes I have to get my point across. Have you read the book of Psalms? Because Psalms reads like that, you know? Um, It's just full of this raw passion and emotion and i think sometimes it gets sanitized when we you know when we have our king james the lord is my shepherd yeah you know uh really it's you know god how where are you you know yeah and why like why but i think every bad thing that i've gone through or difficult thing that i've gone through it's always been god's for a reason that god had and i've never had a job where i felt like i had a purpose and I think all of it kind of led up to me doing what I do. That's super cool. Yeah. God is good. God is good. Well, Miss Morgan, thank you for your time. And You're friends, welcome. thank you so much for listening today. You know where you found this show. So I hope that you'll take just a minute or two to maybe leave a rating so people won't think it's totally weird. You know, maybe <laughs> like these people aren't hostages. <laughs> they came here of their own free will. Uh, help clear that up with the police. We'd appreciate that too. Uh, Until next time, I can't wait to hear what God's up to in your story. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes his love into our stories.